Greetings programs, welcome to Animatronic, the podcast talking about episodes of Disney's animated television show, Tron Uprising. My name is Duncan Shields, host of Tronologically Speaking, the movie-by-minute podcast talking about 1982's movie, Tron. And I'm Courtney Coulson, reviewing Tron Legacy one minute at a time on Legacy Minute. Episode 12. And today we are going to be talking about episode 12 of Tron Uprising called We Both Know How This Ends. That's ominous. But then the, uh, the premise is that Mara is put in charge of the garage and must prove her leadership skills. So the title doesn't really go hand in hand with the somewhat, you know, mundane premise that we are going to be exploring but we'll see how uh, we'll see how everything turns out here weirdly this is one of the few things i remembered from tron uprising i don't know why this episode and the one later with a uh, cypher hmm. oh and the one with clue yeah that's the three things and i don't know why i've watched this is the third time i've watched this series yeah but over the course of 10 years and yeah i don't know what it is about this show that of all things, that's the stuff that's stuck in my mind. Oh. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to know, right? This does have some amazing moments. We get another uh, recap of everything so far, slanted towards again because the show's been showing so much. Now they're cherry picking their things to support the story that they're about to present in this particular episode. But this is the recap that is slanted toward how Tron has fully accepted Beck as an apprentice. And that Mara is respected in the garage, and that Abel knows what Beck is actually doing with his spare time. So those are the three key plot points to keep in mind for this episode. So we open on a ton of recognizers and tanks inside Tesla's base. Beck crawls out of one of the tanks, scootily-doo, and into another one, fiddly-doo. And he's fiddling around with the controls inside the tanks. And it seems like he's injecting perhaps a virus of some kind into the tanks. And uh, he's, as he's doing it, he's saying, all right, Tron, I hope this works. So I'm not, I'm not really sure what's happening here. But I love the interior of this, you know, all oh, the black and red. Beautiful. It's super, it'd be super intense on your eyes in real life. But yeah, great here. Yeah, well, they've got, they've got robot eyes, right? They've got, they've got computer program eyes, so. I do wonder how they see reality. Obviously, they don't have super magnification, but what colors can they see? Is it the same as us? Yeah, what if they see in black and white so their whole vibrant world is, like, lost on them? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. They be... did that. the opposite of that in Star Wars, in Attack of the Clones, the Kaminoans. Their whole world looks absolutely white to us, but they actually see an ultraviolet, so oh, they're seeing cool. all these colors... Their world isn't as stark as we think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the way that insects see flowers. Mm. Apparently they're just so vibrant and we see an eighth of it or something like that because we don't have insect eyes. Yeah, real shame, man. It's a shame. It's And it's impossible to imagine colors you've never seen like how how the hell it's like describing color to a blind person how the hell would you well like there's the there's those people that are around on this planet that have double the double the number of cones and rods in their eyes or something like that yeah apparently they're especially sensitive to the orange and yellow spectrum yeah so they can see you know five million more colors than we can but they might not know 
Mm. Right. Because we're like, look at how vibrant that orange is. And they're like, yes, I agree. That's a really vibrant orange. But they don't know that they're they're seeing a totally different orange. You know, like they're seeing a whole different spectrum of colors. And I think I wonder what it would take for them to go. Uh, I'm not seeing what everybody else is seeing. Like there'd have to be a very specific set of circumstances that would give them. the. Evidence. There are so many conditions like that where people don't realize. Uh, I think I mentioned before aphantasia where people don't have yeah. uh, mental images or people who don't have an inner monologue. Yeah. They don't realize that other people, you know, can read a book in their head silently and hear voices. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Or read a book in their head and silently and not hear a voice, you know, like they're like, you know, when they think when they hear something like I pictured it, pictured it in my head, they think it's a metaphor for yes. thinking about the concept. And the author is like, no, no, I literally pictured it in my head. Can't you do mm. that? It's like, well, no, nobody can. It's like, ah, au contraire. Some people actually can. They're like, what? So it'd be the same. Yeah, thing I have with hyperfantasia. The, uh, and I didn't realize I had hyperfantasia. I mean, I always knew I had a big imagination, and all my therapists sure. growing up were like, just a big imagination. Um, yeah, and so I just thought everyone was like that, and no, I mean, I've, I've like, it's full sensory experience, so yeah, I have these very close imaginary friends, and it feels very real, and yeah. I mean, there's touch, there's smell, there's, I didn't realize other people can't imagine those things. Yeah, so it's it's it would be a very interesting you know, set of events that would let you know that you actually see, you know, hundreds more or thousands of more colors than everybody else. And but you, the way you test it is you have two very similar colors next to each other, and if you can distinguish the difference, you're more color sensitive than other people. And yeah, oh, happens to me all the time with someone goes, oh, I like that blue shirt you're wearing, like it's purple. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or you could have that moment in the Matrix where it's like. Neo, do you want to take the turquoise pill or the light teal pill? You know. Oh God! Oh God! Ooh, uh, ooh, ooh, which one's which? Chartreuse or avocado? <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Oh no! You know, you want that puce or like this yellowish beige? Oh no! Ah, <laughs> uh, so Beck gets out of the tank and drops down right beside a guard. And then we get some more Spider-Man comedy shenanigans before he's like, what the heck? This isn't my tank. Well, see ya. <laughs> and like walks off and uh, easily the, the guard's like, hey, wait. And there's a fight and he easily wins. But then there's a bit of hesitation, though. It's like the guard's gone. He's he's not really committed. He's committing to this. OK, I got to stop him. Yeah. The guard's like, are you you you're serious? <laughs> Okay, stop right there. <laughs> if we're gonna play this out, you know, yeah. But then, but then uh, we get the rest of the troops that come down, and he, yeah, he gets he gets boxed in, and there's a there's a huge thing. Then he jumps on his bike to escape. Pavel's there too, but then uh, Beck jumps on his bike to escape. And we get a nice little sweet callback to 1982's Tron, because as he's as he's leaving, two tanks activate and pull out to block his path, which is is what happens when. Uh, Ram and Tron and Flynn are driving through the field of hundreds of tanks as they're trying to escape from the light cycle arena. The tanks are so cool. Oh, they're so cool. It's it's ridiculous how cool they are. Such a great design. I would actually love if they did a... If they are going to revisit Tron. You know, it doesn't have to just be a direct sequel. Obviously, that's probably no. what they're going to do. But we could have some prequels and just go full on retro 80s oh. just go for that vintage look yes that'd be awesome 
That'd be awesome. If they really went whole hog and respected it, that would be awesome, I think. And you could basically do the effects in a day, apparently, according to according, Corridor Crew. Yeah, according to Corridor Crew, they proved that it's possible, and you can still get that beautiful aesthetic. And I like what they said in that episode, because they said, you know, that the a new Tron should incorporate aspects of 1982's Tron in its design sense. Yeah, we didn't see enough of an evolution between Tron and Tron Legacy, and that's something that causes me a bit of frustration when I'm reviewing it, because I'm going, oh, you've completely lost the, the thing that made this so distinct. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at least the recognizers look recognizable. But yeah, yeah it would be nice if there was a movie that was not too far after the original Tron. Yeah. So you... You could incorporate a bit more of the Sid Mead concept art, so things have a little bit more curvature, yeah. a little bit more detail, but you're still working those very blocky shapes. Oh, I'd love to see it. I'd I'd go to see it opening night. That'd be very. I'd be there for it for sure. Yeah, I'd be there in costume. <laughs> in costume. Unlike 1982, though, he does not thread the needle and swerve between the two tanks. He does an abrupt Coward. about face. Coward and uh, drives back. <laughs> and uh, Pavel is blocking his path and he's Beck's getting cornered, but it makes me remember what happened to that real, that rehealing super disc that, uh, from Shaw that Pavel had. Yeah. Did that get, I don't remember if that comes back. Did that get destroyed? I, I, I can't remember either, but I feel like it showed up again briefly, but I, 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 I can't, can't remember for sure. I'm glad I'm not watching this too many episodes ahead. Cause I think that would actually confuse, confuse, yeah, confuse me way too much. For sure. Uh, Beck zips around before he gets cornered and <laughs> Pavel tells the tanks to fire, but he does it in such a beautiful way. He's like, fire. <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> He's relishing this. When he goes full cackly bad guy, it's yeah, thrilling. It's the best. Thrilling yes. to watch. I, I imagine, so when they do voice acting, it's never just one take or doing a few takes with the same delivery. They usually have the actor do, you know, give some variety so we've got something to to work with. I imagine that the outtakes for Pavel would have been amazing. He would have just... mm. Glory. Yeah, wonderful. (laughs) It would have been wonderful. Release Uh, those Disney, please. (laughs) I imagine some of them might be a little... Not for kids as well, I'm sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I can take it. The problem is, is that I swear a lot. Okay, we'll get it all out of your system in character before we start recording. Uh, oh, <sighs> so there's a. Bunch oh my of- god, have you seen that clip? Oh, it's a well, a, a bunch of clips that someone's edited to the Thundercats. Oh yeah, I've actually yeah. found some outtakes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. That's that's history right there. That that's on. Oh my god, and Frank Welker has spoken about the same kind of thing for transformers and it's just i want to hear megatron swearing oh you have bro i figure you, me. if you're making a kid's cartoon and you've got a voice in it like you mu- the temptation to just let her rip has got to be overwhelming <laughs> and they it must be many producers that are just like okay go to town <laughs> go to town get it all get, uh. all get all your sillies out just don't go to town and then <laughs> shake it off and then let's let's record the episode you know Oh my god! I hope Mark so. Hamill as the Joker—that's yeah. got to be filthy, oh. right? There's some out. Yeah, it's got to be filthy. Yeah, for sure. <gasps> so uh, the tanks all uh, warm up to open fire on back. I did notice that they're all in a circle, mm. uh, pointing at each other as a firing squad, which is not an optimal formation if you're going to be shooting something. 
because uh, they're just going to end up shooting. Especially, you know, if you have big ass tanks, it's not. Uh, yeah, but it's a <laughs> big it's, blast range. It's a moot point because the barrels split apart in this this wonderfully trippy fractured uh, D res holding pattern. They kind of they kind of blossom into these vertical flowers, and they just sort of spin in a weird stasis. Uh, around like a, a glowing nexus like they're they're broken and they're in some kind of holding pattern but it's like they're you know super slow-mo exploding but they never quite go all the way or something they're in this really it looks fantastic it's just wonderful hmm. but i guess this is tron's virus that beck uh that beck injected into the into the control panels there and uh, we go to a shot of argon uh, and it makes me think if the show had continued on, would it start to travel around more, and yeah. would we see different environments? Because we, we saw some, yeah, we for saw brief moments. Oh, what was the name? It was like the the original city, where 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 it was like the first city there where that Argon is based on, and then now Argon's big, and this first city is kind of a, a slum or whatever. So we went there. Yeah, I forgot what it's called. Yeah, and that was really cool. Uh, so you know. But yeah, Beck escapes, takes a sweet Napoleon dynamite jump off of the triangular treads of one of the tanks to safety, and a lot of a lot of uh, yeah parkour, a lot of a uh, lot of fish shaking, a lot of curses, uh, foiled again. We'll get you next time, renegade. <laughs> but yeah, this great overhead uh, shot of Argon. I just I would love to see other places. Like, what's a small town look like in the grid? Yeah, what, what is are there rural communities? Right? What is that like? Are there places that like farm energy, you know, or whatever, and they're like they move at a slower pace? All your yeah. your big city programs coming here with your need to do everything quickly. Got to learn the value of slow time program. Like I I'd, I'd watch that episode in a second. I'd watch yeah, that tomorrow. But everyone still looks all slick and futuristic and stuff. Yeah, but they've got program straw hats and they're chewing on yeah like El- electronic wheat straws or whatever you know. <laughs> they've got like a plaid pattern or tartan <laughs> on them. <laughs> oh man a neon plaid tartan oh my god yeah yeah i want to see it yesterday get on it disney we got to do this stuff i'm gonna draw that <laughs> yeah Tron Farmer. for sure we get another shot uh, of uh, Abel sitting inside his incredible diving bell office thing, and he's looking. And do you notice what's on the far left there? No, what's on the far left? It's it's Yori's suit from the first Tron. No, has to be. Oh, fantastic! Well, that's really good. Heck, that's a chest shape for the, the witch cone looking thing. Yeah, I missed that. Uh, I missed that Easter egg there. I almost did, but then I was staring at this for a while and went, hang on a minute, slapping me in the face. Hang on a second. Oh, well, right on. Uh, So, yeah, but then he's looking at some kind of message capsule or something. So he's he's weighing something out in his mind. Mara comes in by herself, griping about the state of the garage because she showed up and it's in shambles. Doesn't anybody clean up around here? Abel says that he has to go take care of something he should have taken care of a long time ago. Dun, dun, dun. I will finish what you started. Ominous, <laughs> yeah. I will finish what you started. And then uh, he puts her in charge after asking if Beck or Zed is there, which I think is a little insulting. <laughs> is Beck here? No. Is Zed here? No. Well, I guess it's you then. 
So, you know, being, <laughs> being, a choice. being beneath Beck, I can sort of see, but beneath Zed is pretty insulting. But <laughs> to me, yeah, anyway. come on. I mean, I guess he is, yeah. he's a bit of a wonder, a wonder kid when it comes to uh, mechanic stuff, as we've seen in earlier episodes. But so it's such a sibling thing, because in my own family, it's like, okay, is the oldest child here? No, the middle child. No, is the young, okay, the youngest child has to look after whatever it is while I go out and do this other thing. <laughs> So we go uh, fast forward to the garages in full swing. Uh, Beck and Zed show up late because they're lady, lady pants. They're always being late. Zed is telling a bad joke to Beck with the punchline, uh, something along the lines of, and the other program says, that's not energy you've been drinking. And then they, <laughs> Beck's like, ah, what? <laughs> yeah. Beck's like, ah, I don't get it. You know, <laughs> So they, but as soon as they start showing up, they're like, they start disrespecting Mara's authority. Uh, she points out that the lift has been acting up and they promise to fix it. And then she leaves and he's like, huh, I don't know anything about lifts. And Zed reveals that he's the one that broke it in the first place. And there's this total kind of sitcom phrase, you know, freeze kind of thing where he's like, well, that's because I broke it in the first place. Da 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 da. And see. And that's, uh, and that's, that's how it's going to go for Mara for this episode, and it's uh, it's not it's not too cool how her friends treat her. That's a lesson that she's got to learn in subplot B, or yeah, just to learn that her friends are assholes. Yeah, her friends are jerks. So then we cut to the blizzardy wastes, and uh, I just you know I made me wonder what would a tropical grid look like? Like where's it's so whenever they cut yeah. to outside the city, it's a snowstorm, and I'm like, is are there jungles? Are there are there temperate well, places like does it have to be literally snowing everywhere except the main city? I don't... Well, there's no light is the thing. So oh, okay, yeah, there's no sun. I guess the only light that's being provided is being provided by whatever energy is being used. So how I would depict that is it would be glowing water. So people would be on black sand, yeah, and then they're in the glowing water, and it just makes that kind of calm summary kind of ambience yeah sure kind of well like the water they find in the cave in uh in s92's tron you know like um also what is that oh yeah no in tron legacy the pool at uh flynn's height yeah sure right sure glowy water yeah so i sort of see it like it would be like a neon 80s miami you know sort of in places yes but they don't have seasons so i guess it's true that there wouldn't be like oh a... my god yeah can, can we do like that uh gradient sunset orange kind of mm. synth wave yes yes we yes, can that's yes we can yes that's what <laughs> we have the technology oh my gosh that's yes that is what a beach looks like oh, in tron we have decided super into it super into it so uh, Abel is driving along in this blizzard on one of those remote mountain roads that you like that you see in like Nepal or something like that, where it's like one side is a cliff face and the other side is a two mile drop to oblivion. <laughs> so and then we cut to the inside and we see uh, Abel driving. And I love Abel's posture here because it's like he's bent in half and he has a giraffe neck. So, so uh, exaggerated, you know, like his, 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 his neck just comes out horizontally from his shoulders and he's holding on to the steering wheel there it's uh it's awesome that's i mean it goes for the whole show but i love it when they really really push it to an extreme like this yeah because this is 
sort of a hybrid of digital and traditional animation yeah. so it's good that they can do the as i've mentioned before the squash and stretch when they need to yeah yeah uh and then we see there's a red spider on the outside of his car i thought it was like a tracking device or something like that but it crawls inside and gets up into the car and i'll crawl skimpers along his uh skimper well that's not a word i like it scampers though. scampers scampers along his uh seat and then bites him in the arm and he loses control of his truck and he ends up dangling off the edge of the cliff. But then he finds it and he's like, oh, geez, a grid bug and crushes it. And I, I'm like, sweet. Because I'm like, grid bugs? They're doing a, a really sweet callback to 1982's Tron. I thought they were like, oh, yeah. I thought they were about as tall as a human, but I guess they're they're literally spider sized. That's one of my favorite sequences in the, in the 1982 movie. But. It's annoying that no matter where you go, even on the grid, there's going to be bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, grid bugs were going <laughs> to be a bigger part of the film in 1982, but they ended up getting cut from the script. All right. But by that time, the whole grid bug sequence had been done by hand at great time and expense by one of the lead animators. And uh, it, oh looked, it looked beautiful. So they're like, let's just leave it in. It's, <laughs> we, can't, we can't cut this the amount of work that was put into it and the beautiful thing that, that, uh, that managed to come out of it. So, so Yuri and Tron are like flying over the game sea or whatever. And they're like, Oh, look out grid bugs. And then you see a shot of the grid bugs and then that's it. They're never mentioned again. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful sequence though. So it's really cool to see them here. I was like, yes, grid bugs. Yay. But again, yeah, I was shocked that they're so tiny. There's no sense of scale in the night two movie. They're not, beside anybody but i had assumed they were right i'd assume they were like lion sized or something but yeah yeah now i'm remembering it you have no sense of scale other than i think the grid underneath it which looks big yeah which could be you know yeah that could have been microscopic they could have been 10 yards wide like who knows but but i like that whoever's in charge of tron uprising is really thinking about these things and making those callbacks and yeah there's a love for the franchise yeah i i totally concur so abel's having a hard time getting his truck off of the edge of the cliff when the cliff literally breaks off and he barely jumps to safety and he has to continue on foot and this is this is something that i think we talked about before but like i don't i don't think they can freeze to death no i think they can run out of energy and go dormant so they're just out there in the wilderness getting snowed on and nobody can we've never seen temperature affect them in any way no but they i think they they run out of energy because dyson made it sound like programs get tired when they run out of energy but tron will literally die yeah and that's his dark gift right but like your average program will just go oh so sleepy and then uh i guess maybe just power down power down and be in like a state of suspended animation until somebody wakes him up oh you could do a sweet sleeping beauty episode with that kind of thing yes this program's been dormant for eight thousand cycles oh and it's uh it's yori or something you know like oh Oh, yeah all right okay. would she still be black and white <laughs> yeah she'd still be black and white of course <laughs> Okay, let's put this in our season two, uh, our, our, yeah, our scripts. Absolutely. Uh, I, speaking of, I actually had a dream recently where this woman wakes up uh, and her, her robot companion finds her 
and takes her to this space station. She's like, why are we on a space station? Where's Earth? And you, she slowly figures that, oh, it's destroyed. Okay, who are all these aliens around us? Um, they're not actually aliens. They're humans. What? How long was I asleep for? A million years? Yeah, I love that. I love a, a time jump like that. There was a yeah uh, an Ian M. Banks novel where someone uh, in, a, in one of the culture series where a guy is monitoring this alien life on this planet and this alien life is like continent-sized whales floating around mm. the atmosphere of a gas giant but they all oh, have cool. uh lifespans of you know eight hundred thousand years or something like that and so this guy uh ends up getting ejected out of a spaceship and dying but there's an epilogue where he wakes up and he's on the back of the creature that he used to talk to when he was monitoring these creatures. And he's like, whoa, last thing I remember is being ejected out of a, a spaceship. And they're like, yeah, yeah, well, we found you and we brought you back to life. And uh, here you go. So now we can continue talking to each other. And he's like, well, it's so great that uh, that you're still here, you know, Sage Spice 248. And he's like, no, 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 I'm uh, I'm Sage Spice 422. You mean my my great grandfather? He's like, no, I can't mean your great grandfather. You guys live for eight hundred thousand years. He's like, no, no, yeah, my great grandfather. He's like, sorry, what? <laughs> and like, so he'd fallen out of the spaceship. The Milky Way had done an entire rotation, and then they found him again. <laughs> right. So he's like, I'm like, whoa. So this, I like a, or like in Portal when you first wake up, the video game, the robot voice says, "You have been asleep for quite some time." The time, yes. the day is now nine, 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 nine. Like, and I was just like, that is the coolest, <laughs> most chilling thing they could have thrown in there. Like, it's just run out of numbers. That's that's how long you've been asleep. The computer, yeah. the computer ran out of numbers. Like, well, that's a uh, that's a long time. Terrifying. I love it. <laughs> anyway, so we go back to the garage. We leave Abel trudging through the blizzard and we go back to the garage. And Zed is telling his hilarious energy drink joke. That's not energy. You're drinking now to two of the mechanics that we've seen before. It turns out their names are Dash and Copper, which is cool. Not not the Asian guy and the Vulcan haircut guy. They are Dash and Copper. I'm glad to have names for them now. Uh, but they don't get the joke either. <laughs> He's like, huh? They're like, I don't get it. And uh, so. nah, see, Zed's just—he—he's predicting meme culture where the punchline is just absolutely surreal and makes no sense. <laughs> and... Yeah, he's telling non-jokes. He's like, guys, these are non-jokes. <laughs> yeah, that's me as a child. I keep remember. I don't know why this memory comes back to me. Well, series of memories is me five years old telling jokes to my dad. And he's like, that the punchline doesn't make any sense. I'm like, that's the point. Yeah, that's what I would always right? say. Like, that's the point, Dad. Yeah, like kids' jokes are like, "What do dogs eat for dinner?" And you're like, "I don't know." And they're like, "Pizza." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, yeah, good one. <laughs> Zing. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I am laughing because it is stupid. <laughs> right? so. It works, but it's like you, you've got the <laughs> at what cost? You've got the at what cost? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, Mara walks in, and it turns out Zed and Beck haven't even started trying to fix the lift, and the other two mechanics 
ask her for time off because they can't fix their chopper until the lift is fixed. And she says, okay. And Zed and Beck go to sit back down. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, well, did you mean like right now? And she's like, yeah, right now. Like, so she's, uh, she's really getting worked over here by her supposed friends. They're really. I relate to this so much. When I was at Whopper studying costume, uh, it's a theater school, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. When you're doing management for the first time, this is it. This is your crew. This is how everyone treats you. Yeah. They, they test it out, right? They're like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I guess I guess there's no rules anymore. I guess it's just playtime. And you're like, okay. Yes. You have to be the boss. Otherwise, that's just going to keep on keeping on. It's regrettable. I absolutely was not ready for that at the age of 20. No. Oh, God, it was so bad. No. And you can tell Mara's trying to, come on, guys. You know, she's really trying to, to make it happen. She's only doing slightly better than I did. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to this first time being in charge of something and having it not go that great. But suddenly, a whole ton of recognizers land at the garage and Pavel struts in with guards flanking him and he wants to have his tanks repaired and these are the tanks that Tron are, yeah, and the Renegade sabotaged. So there's a whole bunch of them. So, oh no! It's a huge work order, and the boss is away, and she's understaffed because Dash and Copper are gone. What a test of authority this will be for Mara. And uh, Except Pavel basically, Pavel threatens to de-res them if they're not fixed by the end of her ship. She's like, I'll kill all the mechanics here, throw you in the games, and execute you uh, if you don't fix these tanks right away. So I think the threat of death seems to be rather prevalent in this uh universe it's always like well if you don't do it i'll uh throw you in the games and they're all like gosh i better find a solution soon i'm like shouldn't you be like quaking with fear <laughs> like i would be like don't please don't kill me please don't kill me i wouldn't be able to think for the next four hours but we don't really get a sense of what death means to programs you know we don't see people really mourning the same way humans do there's the same yeah. kind of shock like a- i mean like able- they have the games yeah Abel assumes that Beck is going through a hard... In the last episode, he assumed that Beck was going through a hard time because of Bodhi's death in episode one, Mm. which is like a year ago at this point. But... uh, So there is... That's the only example. That's literally the only example that I can think of where it's been mentioned. Yeah. But one thing that's really cool that happens here that's like just... Offered without comment, not remarked on at all. As Pavel says, I need the tanks done by the time I get back and points at the wall with his finger and a massive digital clock spouting gibberish numbers just comes into life across the entire wall of the garage and starts counting down. But I say that with air quotes because there's just the numbers are doing bonkers wackadoo stuff that no clock does. And so I'm like, that's a neat power that's never been revealed before. How do you just, can he just, is that one of his powers? He can just make clocks appear on walls? Like, okay. It's out of nowhere. But I mean, it gives them a ticking, a giant literal ticking clock. On, yeah, on I love wall, it. But... And I guess making the numbers not move down in a realistic way means they don't have to worry about continuity. They can edit however they like. That's a really excellent point for sure. And they also like avoid the risk of saying, this is how much time passes in the grid. 
Hmm. Right. Like they don't they don't have to make up. You know, they've got cycle, but they don't have to make up nanocycle. They don't have to make up some gibberish word for hour. They can just like, you know, all these numbers are appearing on the wall. Who knows what they mean? But it's a clock. I th- <clears throat> that reminds me when it comes to sci fi terminology. It's I get it's sort of what's the word? If you have too much of it, it gets just a little cluttered, I guess is yeah, the word I'm thinking sure. of. Like I've seen fan fiction of Tron or Transformers or something. Okay, Transformers is what so eyes can be called um what are they called? Sensors uh, or something or something like that. And then feet can be called peds. Sure. And hands are called you know, it's like, no, just freaking call it, you know, days, hours, weeks, hands, face, eyes, because otherwise it's just, it gets really distracting and you're slowing down the narrative. Well, yeah, it happened in that uh, Farscape TV show, right? Hours were called Narns, right? So I was like, yes. I'll, I'll see you in four Narns. I'll see you in a quarter of a Narn. I'm like, I get it that aliens, oh, this was a funny thing I saw today. Someone was coming up with the idea that on Star Trek, Jean-Luc Picard, is actually speaking French the whole time, but it's the ship's translator yeah. that's making everybody think that he's it's putting it into English for us, but everybody on the crew is not actually speaking the same language. Which I thought was Yeah, like, I mean Deanna Troy is probably speaking whatever language they have on Beta Z. Yeah, right. So that's why I feel like in most science fiction scenarios we're already getting a translation. So we don't yeah. need them to have you know their slang or specific terminology because you've already made that translation or you can try to sort of think around the corners like this clock does the the idea that it appears is bizarre but this is kind of like the countdown clock on the predator's wrist at the end of predator (laughs) right like it doesn't make any sense but you're like oh one screen at a time is going dark and there's five screens this is a countdown clock You know, and it's sort of like you're seeing that up here on the wall. Like it's got zero at one end and then nine gibberish spinning fast forward numbers that are flickering by. And you get the feeling that it's like one by one, they're all going to hit zero. And when the last one Mm. hits zero, then we're out of time. That's all you need to know, right? That's all you need to know. So It's got way too many digits. I don't understand why. No, it doesn't make a lick of sense. And I don't know why it appears on the wall when he points at the wall. But (laughs) heck, whatever. So that's Visually, it's great. Visually. It's a great uh, metaphor of a sign. Oh, the other thing about using sci-fi terminology, sometimes it kills the impact of what you're trying to communicate. Sure. Like, I've seen with Tron fan fiction, de-resolution sometimes kind of ruins the impact. If you say death in the right context, yeah. that actually has more meaning. For sure, right? But you say, like, oh my gosh, he's been de-resed. You're like, uh, I mean, I guess mm. that means he's been killed. Or tortured to... D-res. Yeah. Uh, Torture to death. There you go. Sometimes you just got to go with what sounds good. Yeah. So this is plot A and B fully underway now. Abel is lost in a snowstorm and Mara has to fix a huge work order under the pain of death uh, before. I like Abel's little tent. Yeah. He's in in the middle of in the snowstorm in the middle of nowhere. And he, he, he consults his little, you know, Google Maps instrument or whatever and he pulls out yeah this little donut that he inflates into a a glowing balloon dome with a beacon on the top of it i don't know are there any points on the grid that are (laughs) 
off the grid, so to speak. You know <laughs> that there is no signal; you can't be traced. I I don't. I mean, know. if there are, this is the place. That's 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 the impression I'm getting. He's in the he's in the middle of an Arctic wasteland, and this is where he's going to like do something sneaky as it looks like so i think this is uh mm. this is a place where he can't be traced unless somebody's like has uh like a, a telescope focused on this exact coordinates then no this is like going out into the middle of the sahara or something like that but uh let's see here yeah so oh, man it also, tron desert that would look cool yeah it also kind of reminds me of the thing you know the movie the thing yeah. in the middle of nowhere so back at back at the office, they're finding out that the damage to the tanks is irreversible, and they need to take on the tanks one by one. So Dash turns into Robo Super Jerk and tries to take over, and uh, he's like, "You don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. Everybody take one tank and try to fix it. We can hit the deadline that way." And Mara's like, "No, no, we need to work together." He's like, "Shut up. Who's with me?" And everybody's with him, and it's only Zed uh, and Link that are still with, uh, or no, it's, is anybody still with Mara? Who stays with Mara? I think Mara's kind of just left <laughs> by herself. So uh, Yeah, I don't think anyone no, they all, they all deserve That's her. one of those things where it comes to confidence and charisma and being able to persuade people, because really both of their plans, as far as anyone knows, seem about as reasonable as each other. Yeah. But it's just that one guy is able to stand up and go, okay, you know what? We're going to do it this way now. Yeah, he could have been nicer about it, but he definitely took charge. Yeah, I love researching, like, Charisma on Command as a YouTube channel I love. And just all those charisma and personality yeah. analysis, the yeah. public speaking. Yeah. Uh, it's really useful for, well, podcasting is one thing, but also uh, when writing characters and sure. getting into the psychology a bit. And yeah fascinated when people screw up that badly and you yeah. go, why are they okay that's how they came to that conclusion i guess yeah when you see that that kind of gross huge fail like not gross like disgusting but just like a fail mm. a fail on a level that you're like almost incomprehensible like how did you get yeah. there how did you get there how did your brain take <sighs> you to that place you know like i don't Oof. know I, I had to do some research on philip mesmer uh, and it's like when you say that somebody's mesmerized, uh, you're, oh, yeah. you're actually talking about the concepts that Philip Mesmer was putting forth. And he, uh, and he, but he, he gets a, he gets sort of a reputation for talking about hypnotism, but what he was talking about was he was fascinated by, you can have two say army commanders that are educated at the same place. They're of the same build. They're of the same age. They're of the same kind of looks. Uh, but one commander's platoon is always on the cusp of mutiny and the other commander's platoon will follow him into a burning house without hesitation. And it's like, what, what's the secret? What's the difference, right? The first guy's not super abusive, but the second guy just has something. He has something. And what's that something? Why do some people are just like, they walk into a room and they're like, Hey everybody, I want you to do what I tell you to do. And everybody's like, ha, you know what? I'm proud to be a part of this plan. You got it, buddy. I will. Like, who? what is that magic? And he was really, really mm. fascinated by that aspect of it. So he's like, and that became the, the, the concept of mesmerizing was it's all based on his surname. And it's got to be wild to like have your, your surname become a verb. I think that's. Yeah, Galvani, yeah. galvanization. Yeah. Yeah. 
right? That's cool. But uh, yeah, a lot of it comes down to fear, which we are seeing with Mara yeah, here. It's yeah. that fear of rejection, fear of people not taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, so I actually have, I don't know, there's no name for the condition, but I do have, um, I guess, emotional analgesia. So I can't experience emotional pain. I don't really experience fear. And you notice that when you're interacting with people, that not having fear gets you really far because I can just walk up to someone, look them in the eye and tell them, hey, I don't really like what you said. And you, I've made friends out of enemies so easily that way because I'll just go, hey, did you say this? Uh, 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 yeah. Why? You know, I never go, oh, you shouldn't have done It's like, why? I just be like a five-year-old and just ask why because yeah. that makes the other person have to go, well, because I, um, uh, sorry, you know. Sure, right? Yeah, it's, it's a very handy thing to, to have. I've been binging a lot of YouTube clips of Boardwalk Empire recently, and there's a character. There's a character in it named Jimmy Darmody, and he's a war veteran, and he's just uh, like, as far as he's concerned, he died in the trenches five years ago, mm. and he's not self-destructive. He just is not shaken by any of the posturing that's happening around him. Yeah. The minute anybody tries to threaten him, they're like. You know, this deal almost seems too good to be true, Jimmy. He's like, well, you could always say no. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's like, kind of what just... it is to me. We're just, uh, take it or leave it. I don't. Every, yeah, anytime somebody tries to like obliquely threaten him, it's like it goes over his head, you know? Yeah. And so it just kind of fizzles out, except it doesn't go over his head. He just like. Uh huh. Does not care. It's words that you said. Okay. Mm. Anyway, you know, like he doesn't. He's not. He'll never shake in his boots because he was in, you know, Verdun getting shot at for like a year. So he doesn't. Nothing. Nothing phases him anymore. He's, he's not. I think the most fascinating examples of that sort of charisma or confidence are the people who are actually very nervous, but they kind of lean into it. Like, they kind of yeah. make it their thing, yeah. being socially anxious. Um, the McElroy brothers of my brother and my brother and me, they are very anxious, but they're also hilarious, and they sort of... Their comedy comes out of how socially inept they are. Oh, yeah, 100%. Or there's people that... Uh, like, there was that movie that Ryan... Uh, who's the guy that... Oh, jeez. Who's the guy that played the grown-up Anakin Skywalker there? Hayden Christensen. Yeah, Hayden Christensen. It's a movie that he's in, and it's a real-life story about a guy who joined a newspaper who was famous for its journalistic integrity, and he made a he just made a ton of stuff up, 80% of them. But the, the point is, is that the reason why he got away with it is because he's super nervous. Hmm. Every time you're like, hey, how's it going? He's like, did I do something wrong? And, yeah, and you're like, no, so you can't no, actually tell. no, you didn't do anything wrong. Man. No, it's okay. And you, he just engenders this like elders want to mentor him. And you, you're like, oh, no, yeah. let me take you under my wing and show you how it's going. And like you just he just engenders his trust and this type of following just because he's so nervous and so insecure all the time that everybody wants to help. You know, so it's kind of the opposite of leadership, but it works just yeah. as well in terms of like. So I guess the advice is either be an absolute pathetic coward <laughs> or just be absolutely fearless there's no middle ground yeah. if you want to survive in this world you got to be the alpha or the uh, or the beta yeah yeah and there's no <laughs> i think they call that a, a what a power bottom i guess or something like that and the... yeah 
kind of. Yeah. Um, it was called Shattered Glass, and I Shattered Glass. remember this movie. It came out when I was 11, and I remember, you know, this was peak Star Wars. All the girls loved Anakin, yeah. so I remember bunch of my friends we were sitting around we we're watching uh, a few hayden christensen movies and one of them was shattered glass i did not get it no I didn't, no like no, you, no. you explaining yeah. the plot i'm just like that was the plot yeah, it's it's, it's boring it's based on a scandal that i've never heard of and it's you know like whatever but it did show that hayden christensen is actually today it would just be a podcast he's a fine actor i think is what the point of that movie was was that hayden christensen is mm. not a horrible actor he's actually a pretty good actor mm. but um not when he's being poorly directed but anyway, but we digress. So uh, right now at the garage, we're having a montage. We're having ourselves a little montage. montage. But we're gonna need a montage. But uh, it's <laughs> it's fail after fail. Unfortunately, it's not minute improvement after minute improvement. It's actually fail after fail, and it's because they're working separately. And uh, Link's tank actually starts firing holes in the wall of the garage. And then Zed's tank takes off by itself, driving into the land, into the ocean right out front, driving into the lake right out front. So it's total chaos in the garage. But then we cut back to Abel in his glowing tent, and he's not alone. He pulls his disc on the stranger behind him, and it's Tron in his black stealth suit. It's so cool. And Tron knows Abel's name. And Abel reveals that he knows about Beck and that he wants Tron to stop. Uh, they have a shout. So this is Beck's two dads fighting over yeah. how they should That's raise right. their sons. Two dads fighting. But it's Tron and Abel know each other and they go way back. Abel, you coddle him. You need to push him out there more. He needs discipline. That's what he needs. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they have a, 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 sh- a shouting match. And uh, Abel says... We both know how this ends. That's like the the title of the episode. Every time that happens, I don't, and I'm watching TV alone, mind you, I don't do this for another. I just go, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you have to. It's like some kind of hot tub time machine, right? Like that's uh, yeah. So, uh, but uh oh, they cut back, and it looks like thousands of grid bugs are closing in on their location. There's a whole sea of grid bugs that have oh my gosh, there's a glowy thing in the distance, and so they're closing on it like sandworms going to rhythmic sound. That's not a very good metaphor because they're really tiny, but they are closing on hmm. the, on their location. So we cut back, and then Mara is sad because they're all going to be executed and sent to the games. When she puts a puzzle piece into place, and she's like, wait a second, when Link's tank broke, it fired link got a tank to fire and so she's like link link we get another fantastic sitcom moment here where she's like link i need your help and link's like you do and zed and beck (laughs) behind her are like you do like more more classic sitcom action but uh yeah link says it was an accident but she shows mara what he did so back in the tent Abel is our failing upwards failing upwards right if it wasn't for his yeah. input uh i messed up though right like <laughs> so back in the tent they're fighting but abel says something really interesting here he says i won't watch beck become another one of your mistakes 
right? He says, I won't watch so that become that's implying another that this one, is, right? And that's, this, this is serious. Like, we were right. Wait a second. What do you mean another one? So it's all my, I mean, it's not the Groundhog Day that we wanted where his apprentice keeps getting killed every episode, but, uh, but something's going on there. Mm. So, and then he says, you know, and Tron says, you're, uh, you're leaving me no choice. Or Abel says, you're leaving me no choice. And so it looks like there's a bit of a standoff or a face-off about to happen here. But then a billion grid bugs surround the tent and rain in through tears in the fabric. And, uh, and the two of them ride out of the tent on a sweet tread bike, one of those that we've seen before. Yeah. They're doubling on the, on the tundra, and then the, the tent explodes behind them. They're like, <laughs> and this is like a moment, because like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And then the next shot is them exploding out of the tent as the tent blows up behind them. I'm like, I sure hope they were both on the same page about this plan, because that's uh, <laughs> that's not where I was Yeah, going. there's so many times where it's like, are you thinking what I, I would love it if there was a, an inversion of that trope, where it's, are you thinking what I'm thinking? No, wait, hang on, I thought we were doing the other <laughs> yeah, Oh, no. Yeah, yep. Power down so the grid bugs lose interest. Oh, no, that's the opposite of... Okay, sorry, my bad. I thought you were thinking about something else. <laughs> but uh, I wonder how they met. Yeah, I wonder how they met, but they've been meeting for a while, I guess, because he's like, you know, at the end of this scene, he's like, the next time we meet, I pick the place, right? So they're, they, they've got a some kind of schedule going. But uh, back at the office, Link shows Mara what he did, and Mara extrapolates, fixing the tank. One down, and they look at the clock, and uh, they're like, okay, there's more and more zeros on the clock than there was last time, so they don't have a lot of time left. So, yeah, Beck is about to bail and take care of business with Pavel to say, you know what, we're never going to fix these tanks. I'm going to go kill this guy right now. Uh, but Mara's like, no, you don't. You get to back to work now. Like she cracks the whip on him, and it's like, now you're gonna do that now, <laughs> okay? But uh, but he's impressed. He's like, okay, I'll stay. Yeah. Oh yeah, why doesn't Beck know how to undo this? Because he created the virus, right? Or maybe Tron did. Oh no, he doesn't know how to undo it. He's gonna mm-hmm. go. Oh oh, why doesn't he? Oh well, I think it's because. Yeah. Yeah, Tron gave it to him and told him what to do with it. Right. But he didn't write it or anything like that. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's a valid question. I mean, the, the, the episode doesn't work if he does, but, you know. Because now I'm thinking about our uh, our season two episode about the virus uh, pandemic and, like, who creates it and, like, surely someone knows how to undo it. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure Tron would know. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Uh, so... And then, yeah, Mara goes over to the entire garage and gives him an entire rousing speech about leadership and friendship and responsibility. Friendship is magic. Friendship is magic. We're all in this together. And it's cool. You know, united we stand, divided we fall. It's a very, very cool moment. And it's cool to see. One thing I like is that some of the guy mechanics are wearing pink mechanic armor. Oh, yeah. Which is really cool because so far they've kind of gone all in on this whole... Uh, pink equals girl in uh, in a lot of the you know the girl programs have pink highlights on them and pink neon which and... is fascinating to me because that really only goes back to i think 1910s 1920s yeah, right yeah 
I think at one point it was like the opposite, right? It was like blue for girls and pink for boys. Like it, it, it... Yeah, because blue represents the like pale blue, Virgin Mary, and then uh, pink is pale red, which is a very uh, sort of royal color, masculine, sure. all that sort of thing. But somehow one article in some fashion magazine a hundred years ago said, why don't we try and switch it up for a season? And then it just stuck. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think it was one of the first ladies who sort of perpetuated that. She just loved pink. It just Everything was pink. And so it just continued this idea that it was feminine. And then you've got, you know, gentlemen prefer blondes where Marilyn Monroe is wearing that pink dress. Oh, and I just yeah, think yeah. pink kept being perpetuated this very feminine color. Yeah. And then suddenly that's and... always the way it was, you know, in, in, in the... Yeah. It goes by for one generation and then suddenly it's it's it was never a different way technically speaking the idea of well, that idea is as old as the idea of women having to shave their legs or diamonds being given as engagement yeah. exchanges if you will it all goes back to about the 1920s yeah that's very interesting a lot of things changed right at that at that point in history and that's why when I write science fiction, this is why I love science fiction in the first place, why when I write it, I want to push myself as far outside of my own preconceptions. Every line I put on that page, you go, hmm, why do I think that though? Yeah. And then I have to go back and go, well, what if this culture did not have that uh, bias? Yeah, that's what I love about alternate universe stuff that's starting to really become popular after Into the Spider-Verse really kind of broke mm. the broke the broke the dam wide open on like multiverse stuff and then we're going to have uh Scarlet Witch and then the next Doctor Strange movie is called Multiverse of Madness and I hear that there's going to yes. be all kinds of really cool multiverse stuff and I'm just like bring it on bring it on yep. I want to see so <laughs> much of it I just cannot wait right I just want to see different actors showing up in the same costume and saying but who are you like I I can't get enough of it. I can't. I... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I would love it if, like, uh, Keanu Reeves shows up as one of the Doctor oh, Strangers or something. He better. <laughs> He'd be down for oh, it. Oh, he better. Yeah. My God. The, the, the theater would lose their minds. I would, anyway. Yes. Oh, man. It would be so amazing. <laughs> Perhaps I could be of some assistance, says Keanu Reeves. Oh. Dressed as Doctor Strange. <laughs> no. Yes. I'm already hyped for a thing that made it. <laughs> I know, me too. I'm like, I can't wait for that thing that we, oh yeah, right, we just made it up 30 seconds. <laughs> God damn it, why does reality have to be like this? But um, yeah, I think we are getting to a point now with storytelling, especially in film, where you know we don't have to have the superhero origin story, we're not having to explain everything from the beginning. Yeah. So we can have multiverses, we can have five different freaking Spider-Mans oh, in you. five years. Finally, finally, and... finally, we've hit the point <laughs> yeah. where we don't need to see Bruce Wayne's parents die again. We don't need to see. Oh my him god! Getting bit I by think I've seen again. them die more often than I've seen my parents kiss. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. They deliver the tanks. They're one tank short. So Pavel's like, sweet, I can't wait to kill all of you in the games. Uh, and then Zed drives the tank up to the formation saying, sorry, just fixing this one. And then Pavel's like, drat, I don't get Lost to kill. Push, yeah. I don't get to kill all of you. 
oh well. Yeah, did Pavel just want to do murder today? It wasn't even about repairing the tanks. He no. just really had a murder boner, he and he really had to did. let it out and I, I don't understand how he's suddenly a man of his word. He's like, oh, I was going to kill you all, but you delivered the tanks. Dang it. <laughs> I'm like, well, just kill them anyway, man. Like, if, if that's your thing. I mean, you could. You're, the, yeah. you're that guy. But... Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, and everyone it, does it. Tesla does it. It's fine. But then um, Link says that he pulled the tank out of the ocean using the lift that he recently fixed. So that's bringing that little storyline full circle. Hmm. So which is nice. But then Abel pulls up on his sweet little tread bike to the garage with little Jetson sounds. It sounds like. And then he stops and derezzes it into its bar and uh, into its baton and throws it to Beck and tells Beck that he should return it to you-know-who. He's like, you-know-who you should return this to. And Beck is like, what? So now Beck knows that oh, Tron and uh, I just remembered um, that Jetson's ship sound, the sort of, I don't know, that kind of high whine yeah. with that bubbly sound <laughs> in it. Or whatever. Yeah, that kind of thing. No one knows where that came yeah, from. Yeah, they do. They we have the original recordings there. I think Hanna Barbera. Yeah, has them, and no one knows what it is. <laughs> no, I know it's fascinating. Nobody wrote it down. Nobody thought That's... to tell anybody, and nobody thought to ask. But the the sound was successfully made, and they were like check mark. And then that designer isn't that amazing that we don't know what it is and yet it's so quintessentially 1950s science fiction you hear that and you, you can't just put it in any other context it has to be that specific one and you're like was it a uh like a harmonica through a broken fan that they ended up slightly digitizing like there was a really good at the beginning of the um the looney tunes theme song there's a there's a there's like a slide on a guitar it goes like yeah. but there's that there's that slide on that guitar and people the the composers were trying to like do it and they were like i can't I, that's not the sound i'm doing it on this guitar and that's not the sound and they were going oh, yeah. for like african guitars and all these different guitars and they're like that's not it either what the, what what did, how what is this and they found out like in the basement of Warner Brothers they found this guitar that had like 14 strings on it and was a little shorter like it, uh. it's this really it's a weird guitar but it was a custom guitar it wasn't like uh. it wasn't like part of a mass produced guitar thing they were looking for a certain sound and someone built this guitar that gave them that certain sound and then they like dusted it off and played it and they're like oh my god that's the sound that's bizarre. And so, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. The other one that they lost was um, in Mr. Freeze's original appearance in Heart of Ice, Batman the Animated Series, there is a specific sound over his voice to give it that metallic quality. Okay. They were never, ever able to replicate it again, I think because the original sound designer left the series by the time he appeared in the sh- uh, Mr. Freeze appeared in the show again. So they were just like, okay, here's another metallic sound, but it doesn't it doesn't sound quite right. And as a big Mr. Freeze fan, I do notice it because I think that original sound was so perfect. Hmm. Yeah, so much is lost. It's the importance of mm. writing stuff down and keeping it safe. Like tears in the rain. Like tears in the rain. Uh, so 
Two things. I really wish that I had vehicles that would de-res into batons that I could throw to friends. That would be super awesome. Mm. And Could you imagine how that would just change how our entire world works? You know, there's so much just everywhere. dedicated to concrete yeah. and parking. Well, and yeah, now and it's no like we talked in a previous episode. What is the limit size? I mean, sorry, mm. what's the size limit for something that can fit into a baton? Can your recognizer, mm. can your recognizer de-res into a baton? Oh, yeah. You know? Or would that be like four batons or a really huge baton? You know, like what's, what's I, that's like, it's a truck, your limit or what, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, a cycle can, a light cycle can. Could a tank, you know, like, so I'm like, what's, uh, what's, what's the, what's... you need a really chunky baton. Yeah. So I'd like to, I'd like to do some research into that. I, I wish there was an episode dedicated to that. Just because this is giant, it's like sword length baton. Yeah. This is my jet plane. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> For sure. So, and then Mara gets a thumbs up from Abel, and Abel reveals that she was his number one choice the whole time, which is hmm. nice of him to tell her, but that was a bit of a, mm. a jerk. But is he just saying that because he can say it now? Hmm. I do wonder because he did yeah. seem. Uh, I guess you'll do at the beginning of the episode, and now he's like, "You were the one I wanted this whole time." I'm like, mm, "What? Don't buy it." Was she? You don't buy it? I I think it's I think he did, but he was just in a rush. But uh, I'm I can see what you're saying too. Like, mm, you're just saying that, yeah, because everything worked out. So of course she was your number one choice all along. Not a so not a bad episode. A little fillerish, a little formulaic. But still really cool, and we got that really sweet effect of the infected tank barrels, and we got grid bugs. I'm ecstatic that we got grid bugs, and we got a little furthering of the overarching plot. Abel and Tron know each other. We get a hint that something that this might not be Tron's first attempt at, a, at an apprentice or something. So, pretty solid. Yeah, I think this episode. You know, we were talking about particular cartoon plot tropes where you know there's your cliche ones that i think every show i think every writer's room must have a list of those cliche plots that you gotta do they're just gonna pad out the season but you can also use them as a means of exploring those characters but uh yeah i think this one is kind of that role reversal thing where a character is you know one of them's now the boss or something like that i mean it's not not true reversal but just oh you suddenly put this character in a position they're not normally in yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is definitely one of those. And, I, yeah, I do think this show is really good for, even though, yeah, we've got some episodes that we need to just pad out that season, they do take that time to actually make it feel worthwhile and the characters do advance in some way. Yeah, which I, 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 I appreciate. Like, they are hampered in some respects by uh, by you know, whatever, the limits of the target audience and the limits of the genre and the limits of Disney, but they uh, they do a really good job, I think. Well, there you go. I was just thinking about the, the limits of uh, when you are working with a big company like Disney and everything has to be quite sanitized. That also makes this show even more impressive. Yeah. Because they're, they're pretty much pushing the boundaries as much as they can. It is amazing that they, they, they get away with as much as they do in this show. Not get away with, but push into more mature levels and more complex levels as much as they do. Yeah, I saw someone on Tumblr do this compilation of different tweets and stuff from 
clearly fairly young people who have only ever really watched, you know, cartoons, anime, read comics and stuff like that. You know, very made for younger audiences, also stuff that's sanitized, made for wider audiences. And their reactions when they start reading, you know, actual literature or, you know, just reading and or watching things that are made by an auteur that are not made to be part of a franchise. They're not made to sell toys and watching those kids reacting to that stuff. Like, Oh, everyone died in the end. I don't know how to handle this. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. This happens sometimes. Yeah. This is something like the, yeah. I tried a lot of different things over the years, but uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. So thank you for joining us for this episode of animatronic. I've been Duncan Shields. And I have been Courtney Colson. And tune in next time for another episode of Animatronic. End End of of line. Line.